Let's just pray. Oh God, would you send your Holy Spirit just to fall afresh upon us this morning, that we would have such a hunger for your word. And Lord, in your mercy, would you speak to each of us today. Amen. I've got a full script today and I've got a loo roll ready in the background because I haven't stopped sneezing. All the hay fever sufferers will understand. So if anyone needs to take over at any point, they can. Um, <laughs> it's all here. We all love a great uh, rags-to-riches story, don't we? Slumdog Millionaire, Cinderella, Pretty Woman, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Annie. These are the stories that last for time, and I know some of you reluctantly like them, but they've carried on through the ages, so I think we all love a good rags-to-riches story. And here, nestled in to the Old Testament, we find Ruth, a really rich, redemptive rags to riches story and because stories just speak so much um, to us and and today I really believe God's going to speak really different things to all of us here today we're just going to dive into the story and enjoy it and uh, we're going to just look together at the three main characters and how God is at work behind the scenes in their lives so we're going to start by looking at Naomi Naomi has undergone massive changes and challenges in her life. She is now widowed and sonless, and she's returned from Bethlehem to Moab. At the end of chapter 1, uh, the whole town knows of her return, but it's a culture where male heirs were really significant in caring for the family because it was the men that got the money from work, and it was the men that property was passed on to. And so Naomi returns home, but she hasn't got any kind of close males immediately in her life. And so she's quite vulnerable. And so she says to the town people, don't call me Naomi anymore, because Naomi meant pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, we don't know how Naomi or the townsfolk reacted to kind of seeing one another again must have been a strange kind of uh, a meeting after all those years had gone by. might have been quite hard for Naomi to keep her sort of faith in God going in Moab. After all, God's kind of designed us that we need community. We need to come together. might be that Naomi had all kinds of feelings of guilt, you know, like leaving her own people during a time of famine. Maybe they felt bitter that she had abandoned them at that time. Were they perhaps annoyed with her? Did they see God judging her? After all, in a way, Elimelech and her had kind of looked to the world and gone, well, there's food in Moab, let's go over there. We'll abandon where we're meant to be. We'll abandon God's people and we'll go, we'll flee. Is it that God's hand is against them? Would the people of Bethlehem have thought God was judging her? Or maybe uh, we all know those people that are really downcast, and if you hang out with them, they kind of bring you down, and so you kind of avoid them. You know, some of you are smiling, so I know you know those people. Was Naomi one of those people? Like, she was just so despairing and down that, like, the town was just like, oh, okay, hi, Naomi, see ya. Um, I don't know. 
We're not really given much of an answer in the text as to what's going on. But at chapter 2, Naomi's returned home, and yet she's in no better place in herself than she was in Moab. We meet a rather despairing Naomi. But these chapters, chapters 1 and 2 of Ruth, show us that whatever the causes of um, their suffering was, whatever or whoever might be to blame, whatever changes or difficulties they faced, however rotten the societies around them were, God doesn't change. God's the same through the ages, and his love never fails. And though there may be pain in the night, joy is going to come in the morning. So let's just look at how God is at work here with Naomi and how he begins to restore her joy. So we see at the start of this chapter that she's lost all impetus. She's made the big decision to move, um, but now it's like she doesn't really know what to do. So she's kind of moved, and then she's just like, I just don't know what to do. She's in that place of depression, of despair. Uh, moving has taken sort of the energy out of her. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, steps in and graciously suggests, let's go and work for, uh, for the food in the fields. Now, at this point in the chapter, Naomi neither wishes her well in this task or warns her of the risks involved. She just kind of weakly agrees to Ruth's plan. You see, hopelessness often leaves us vacant, energyless, and emotionally detached from others, even those that we love. Not all is lost here with Naomi. God is working. And God works through Ruth, and he works through the providence of leading Ruth to Boaz's field, and of Ruth coming back with this bounty of food. And as God blesses Ruth, it begins to sink into Naomi that she too is being blessed again. Wow, she basically says at the end of chapter, look at all this food. And notice what happens. She now, in verse 20, can now bless another. She realized that God is blessing her first. God's blessing her. Then she blesses Boaz. Bless you, Boaz, that you've provided and helped provide for us. You see, as God's uh, gracious kindness begins to bless her and work in her heart, it begins to restore hope and joy to her. And look at the way she now talks to Ruth at the end of the chapter. Well done, my daughter. Stick in Boaz's field. Stay there, because there you'll be kept safe. You know, her energy is returning to her. She's be beginning to be able to care about others again. Hope is coming back alive, because God is at work in the background. And so she can sing, God, you're the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's have a look at Boaz. This is the first time we meet Boaz. Boaz is going to be our male stud, our hero of, of the book. Um, and in many ways, he's an absolutely fabulous man. You know, he knows his workers in his field so well that he can recognize that there's someone new there. There would have been a lot of people working in that field. What a cool leader. What a great business manager. What a great guy. He notices someone new. 
And then look at the way his foreman speaks to him in verses uh, 6 to 7. His foreman approaches him with great confidence that his master is going to be a kind man. You see, his foreman kind of goes, oh, you know, it's all right. This, this lady, Ruth, come along, and, and actually she's working really hard, and um, we can see she's, she's a good worker, and, and basically he's sort of commending her to Boaz, utterly assured that his boss is a kind boss and that he will extend that kindness to Ruth. How great to be known as that kind of a boss, that kind of a businessman, a kind one. And Boaz indeed um, uh, pours out kindness uh, to, to uh, Ruth and, um, and it's just really exciting how he begins to protect her and look after her. But look also at the way he adheres to God's laws rather than seeking his own wealth. But you see, as a businessman, he should be trying to keep all the harvest as much as he can for himself, for his own wealth. But no, you know, let her, let her pick up things. In fact, lay extra down for her to pick up. He's more concerned with God's law, which is to protect the weak, to provide for the vulnerable, than he is for his own wealth. What a fabulous man. Now, you and I know that for a businessman to be like that takes a work of God in their character. It doesn't just happen by accident. God has been at work in Boaz. However, I don't know if it's um, ever bothered you, but if, you've, if you're a Christian for a while and you've read the book of Ruth, um, I'm always slightly upset by the fact that Boaz might have known in chapter 1, because it says the whole town knew that they'd returned, I'm slightly um, concerned as to why he hasn't offered to extend help before now. If he knew there was this kind of distant relative who'd come back and he knew that he's meant to look after the widow and the foreigner, why is he, why is he not really stepped up before this point? Sometimes it can be quite frustrating waiting for people to step up into responsibility. I'm often uh, frustrated by myself and others at how slow stepping up in responsibility ca can be. Um, I was walking along Chiswick High Road the other day, and I promise I wasn't eavesdropping, but this person was having like a super loud conversation on their phone. It was so loud, I felt like it was broadcast, so I'll share it briefly. Um, but on the phone, this lady was going, don't believe it, like nine people said they were going to come for drinks tonight, and only three turned up. And, um, and she's like, I'm never organizing it again. Um, but it just kind of it indicated to me, like, and I don't know, has anyone here tried to book a table at a restaurant recently for a group larger than two? Like, everyone's like, wants to keep their options open, you know? Like, no one quite wants to commit. I, like, what if something better comes up in the evening? Or what if I just don't feel like it that night? Like, it's kind of like we live in this culture where we're not that great at just owning responsibility. Is there anyone in their 20s here? About to offend. A few people at the back. Right. Apparently, you guys can tell me it's true later, and Mike too. <laughs> Apparently, it's in your 20s, there's a lot of people going around talking about, I had to adult today. And apparently what they mean when they say I had to adult today was that they had to do something like pay the bills or like actually shop for themselves or something like that. And, but it just feeds into the fact 
that we're living in a culture at the moment where stepping up to responsibility, being a grown-up, being an adult, it's not something we're running towards, it's something we're running away from. But if you're frustrated about that in your own life, in yourself, you can recognize it in yourself and you can see it in others. There's a little bit of hope. Because God gets at work in Boaz. And we'll hear more next week. But Boaz massively steps up in responsibility. And God blesses him for it. So there's an encouragement for those of us that attempted to live in frustration. Actually, just to pray and wait and pray. But also a challenge for all of us, too, to ask this morning, what are my God-given responsibilities? Am I stepping up into them? So Boaz, largely as I said at the start, he is a fabulous man. And he's a God-fearing businessman. And he encounters this God-saturated, faithful Ruth. And Boaz looks over his field, he notices her. So God looks over the field of his world and he notices Boaz. And he delights in Boaz's ways. And God decides, do you know what? This man, this man, and he's going to be a great match for this God-fearing lady, this God-fearing businessman, this God-saturated faithful woman. I'm going to bring them together, and I am going to bless him with a legacy that one day is going to make room for Jesus to be born into the world. And so Boaz, too, gets to sing, God doesn't change. God's the same through the ages. His love never fails. And though there may be pain in the night, joy comes in the morning. Naomi, Boaz, Ruth. Now, presumably, uh, Ruth, through Naomi's, learned to trust in the one true God. She chooses Naomi's God and Naomi's people over her own community in Moab. She sacrifices everything in this world to gain everything that comes from having a relationship with God. And Boaz says, verse 12, which is a famous verse in Scripture. Have a look at it if you've got it open. It says this, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And God sees this dear lady who's come to shelter with him. And God watches over her. In verse 3, we have this little phrase, and it says, As it turns out, it's talking about Ruth finding her way into Boaz's field. And so, as it turned out, now the commentaries tell me that this is a sort of rhetorical device. And um, they say that it's like really over the top in the language, that it's almost a bit sarcastic. It's sort of like, as it turned out, as if by chance, no, of course it wasn't, you stupid idiots, God was involved in this. And it's kind of a device to kind of make you go, actually, it was God who sovereignly led her straight to Boaz's field. Don't be in doubt of that. It's the whole reason the book's in the Bible in the first place, is to teach us that God is at work behind the scenes 
all the times in ways we cannot see or imagine. And so God looks after Ruth and leads her to Boaz's field. And just look at how he continues to providentially watch over her. We don't know how she even heard in the beginning how to get to do this job. Maybe she observed the other foreigners working in the fields. Maybe she heard about it from poorer women in the town. But she's kind of got this idea that's come and that God's birthed in her. She then finds courage to go and ask her elder, Naomi's, permission to do it. Now, I don't know what that would have felt like for Ruth. You know when you're in those kind of dynamics when you know you're not the leader, you're number two, but you know in order for anything to happen, you're going to have to kind of become number one to sort it out. And it's kind of awkward, isn't it? It's an awkward thing playing that relationship. And so she's kind of got to go to Naomi, who's lost it, is a bit in despair, and sort of say, look, I've got this idea. And humbly and graciously, she goes, and I've got this idea. Let me go work in the field so at least we can eat. And, um, and she kind of must have taken quite a lot of courage and possibly quite a big pride hit. I don't know what her job was in Moab. But I got the feeling she probably wasn't necessarily a servant. And essentially, she's bowing down to do quite a low, menial servant-type role here. But look how God sees her. And she ends up not being treated like a servant at all. If you look at the, the passage, Boaz essentially employs her. He lifts her status right up to be the same as the other workers in his field, essentially employing her. And have you noticed that beautiful bit where he says to her, do you know what, go and help yourself any time to the water, the water that the men have collected from the well. You foreign woman, go and dip your cup into the same water as them and drink it. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, you'll begin to think, oh, you know, Actually, collecting the water was often the women's role. Often it was the foreigner's role. And often you foreigner wouldn't share the same water as the, the Israelites, you impure foreigner person. And yet you see how God is at work giving her this sort of protection and status in her life. It's so beautiful to see God watching over her and caring for her. And Boaz instructs his men that they are not to touch her, give her any hassle of any sort. In verse 15 to 16, we see that he instructs the men not even just to tolerate her being there, but to actively assist her, to bless her and help her. Chloe had a brilliant line in her sermon last week at St. Albans where she said, love has a face. Love always has a face. God used Ruth to show great love to Naomi. And in many ways, as Boaz marvels at her faithfulness to the Lord, it seems to revive him too. But you know, not only does love have a face, godly responsibility has a face too. It had a face in Boaz and in Ruth. And it's meant to in you and I too. 
And so here we get this beautiful, beautiful story. This foreigner living in a strange land. She's not unnoticed by God. And God ensures she receives favor, protects her, and enables her to have success. And he decides that this non-Israelite woman shall be the great, great grandma for King Jesus. And so Ruth too stands with her arms up high and she sings, God's the same through the ages. His love never fails. And though there may be pain in the night, there may be pain in the night, joy comes in the morning. <laughs>